Welcome to Access to Justice. I'm your host, Evan Clark of Gahane Law, and my co-host is Heather Malarick of Merrick Law. Heather, you know what we didn't do? We didn't get the screenshot of your lovely face, so we could just say your name right now. Heather Malarick. Excellent. How are you doing, Heather? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing well. It's been just kind of a funny week, I think. I don't know if there's something weird going on in the stars or what, but, uh, you know, fine, fine. How are you? What's been the funny week? Tell me, I want to hear about this. Oh, I don't know, just little things like the compute, my computer is acting up and um, I, I don't know, just, you know, a weird week, a weird week. Yeah. yeah. So this morning... I came in really early. It was my office like 6.30 or something like that. And because I am switching over to Saluno for my accounting software, I'm doing it. It's just another program, people. It's nothing crazy. And, you know, it's also going to suck, I'm sure, in other ways. Anyways, I had like a demo. I, I had some questions for them. We're doing it. It's happening next week. And so I just wanted to make sure that I could use it. And uh, so the only time I could fit it in was seven my time, nine Toronto time. And right at the end, and I had to do it that time because I had to do a, an estate planning signing meeting with a client in the remand center mm. at nine. So um, right, at, right as that meeting was ending, the power in my office went completely off, like black. Oh, fun. So, um, I have power supplies hooked up to all my computers. So like I could continue the meeting because I'm hooked up to a power supply, a battery It's like a, we call it a uninterrupted power supply. So my monitors were, everything's plugged into it. So like I could still work and stuff. So it was great for some, I've had to use it in a couple of years. Um, but it was just weird and it was out for like a good 15, 20 minutes. So maybe that's related to your weird week power going out. Know. I don't know. I don't know. Something's going on. And then I went to the remand center, which is the first time I've ever been. And, and he's in, uh, I think he's in a maximum security part of the, of the remand center. Hmm. So, um, I didn't like it. The new one is a lot nicer than the old one was, although that's not saying much and it's still not a pleasant place to be. Um, yeah. yeah. But, I, guess, like, yeah. Uh, I like my client. He's nice. I'm sure he deserves to be there. Like I don't, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with the concept, but like, it's just unpleasant being in a place where like people's liberties are taken away from them. It just feels very unpleasant. I don't like it. No, it's not, not a nice place. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So, uh, we are also joined today, of course, by our very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. Kim is a financial advisor and insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. Kim? Can you, hear some, can you hear some knocking right now? Can you hear that? Maybe. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> there's some work being done on the outside of my house and they're no i couldn't really hear it so okay. just, you're probably good i think there might have been a large power outage today because you're on white avenue and i was on a client meeting at 8 a.m and she was in strathern and her power went out where's strathern 
So that's sort of near Gold Bar, I think. Yeah, kind of e east-ish, right? Yeah, yeah. Although, actually, someone in the neighborhood posted about a power outage today, and I'm kind of central west. So you're right, Kim. Maybe mm. there was a widespread widespread power Maybe issue. Maybe it's time to get generators. So what... How does anybody make the decision to go and buy a generator for their house? <laughs> They're expensive. I've, I've looked it up on Costco, but maybe we're going to start to get more power outages over time, like mm. California. Mm. Or solar panels. Yeah. Generators. The thing that's tricky about generator, generators, Kim, is you got to use them regularly because it's, it's an engine. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you don't use it and you don't keep it up, then it'll die. And then when you need it, you'll be like, oh, it's dead. And it takes fuel, I guess, so of some kind. Yeah, exactly. So then if you're going down that road, Kim, pretty soon you've got a 10K generator and a huge tank of fuel. <laughs> <laughs> buried in your backyard or something and then uh yeah it's a slippery slope just be careful well, there's these hurricanes that are you know florida just got taken out pei was taken out of new brunswick and you know like i i think we're probably pretty lucky in alberta but we're kind of sheltered from a lot of problems but you just get the occasional tornado and fires yeah and you know people choose to live there like it's called hurricane alley they still want to live there. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not, that would be a deterrent for me. Mm. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Yeah. Or you'd be more prepared or would be prepared, I guess. But you can't always prepare for all of those things. Yeah. Right? Be prepared after I got hammered a few times. It's like, well, so last time the car went through a window. We don't want that to happen again. Let's get, <laughs> let's tie the car down. I don't know. Anyways, uh, Heather. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to tell us about your new setup here? No, my, my a headset. Is that what you're yes. talking about? Yes. Um, I actually used these a long time ago and I just rediscovered them. Although, um, I don't know, the sound is good, but they kind of hurt my ears after a while. I have like little sticky outy ears and they press too hard on them. And I think that's why I have not been using this headset. So yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a tester. How's my sound? Everyone. Does it's it very crisp. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it rolls the bottom end right out of there. So I'm, I'm actually a little bit worried that you'll sound a little too crisp uh -oh. because one of the processing processes that I do when we, I get these ready to go is I, I take off all the bottom end and I just, it should be okay. Cause if I'm just rolling off the bottom end, it shouldn't, you'll just sound the same. But if I boost the high end and I can't remember if I, I might have like a little boost, you might be a little crispy. I'll have to check. All right. Well, anyways, you sound great. You look great. You both look great. What are we doing today? Our special guest today is none other than Heather Malarek. Yours truly. Yeah. So, Heather, what are we talking about? Um, well, I wanted to uh, talk about how to get the most out of mediation. So, um, I don't know if our listeners know this or not, but I do some work as a mediator. Um, but, of course, sometimes, you know, in, as a negotiator, even when folks are trying to resolve their disputes, you kind of sit in the mediator seat sometimes um, as a neutral between the two parties. So, um, I was hoping that we could go through some tips that I have that 
I've seen in my experience as a mediator and as a lawyer sitting in mediations um, for folks to kind of prepare and get in the right mindset and in the zone if they're heading into a mediation. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on family situations, but I think some of these tips or techniques are probably useful for any kind of mediation. Um, so yeah, that's what I figured we'd talk about today. I think that's a, that's a great idea. Um, because like mediation is a useful tool that people don't always know is available or want to use. And certainly I've heard the arguments against mediation in general. So like to have an idea from you is like, what are some of the tips that can make it give you the best chance of having a successful experience? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So where do yeah. we want to start? Well, I think maybe the best place to start is what is mediation, Um, just to kind of get that definition out of the way. So mediation is basically where you um, hire or use a third party. There are free and low cost mediations available out there through the government for child support and parenting matters. Um, But where you use the services of a neutral third party to help you with a conversation to resolve a dispute. So the mediator doesn't represent one side or the other. They're not going to give one side or the other advice. They're just going to guide the conversation between the two people um, that are at the table. Um, So I think that's a good place to start is to just sort of understand what mediation is. And what it looks like really depends on the mediator. So um, there aren't any, um, there are some regular, some bodies that uh, associations that mediators can join, but there's no overarching sort of regulation or governing body on mediators. So processes can look pretty different between um, different mediators. But generally speaking, you're going to be meeting with the mediator. You might be in different rooms. You might be in the same room. You might do it person, you might do it online, there's a bunch of different variables. Um, But that's kind of the process in a nutshell. Ahead of this uh, recording today, I was looking up to see all the places that people could use mediation because once you take the course and you learn a little bit more about it, you realize that it's actually a very useful tool in so many other areas of the world. And I wonder if it really is an un- a really underutilized tool out there. People think it's a big deal to bring in a mediator when maybe maybe that should be dispelled and people should be bringing in mediators more often, whether it's uh, for family, uh, divorce, alimony, parenting plans. I got a whole list here, estates. Um, even just recently, there was that email that went out from an Edmonton lawyer looking for an estate mediator um, and um, uh, there's other prenuptial uh, mediation financial and budgeting situations then there's the workplace where there's wrongful termination workers comp discrimination harassment grievances labor management then there's the commercial side landlord tenant homeowners association contracts medical malpractice personal injury partnerships uh, public disputes over environmental stuff land use neighbors maybe fighting each other um, I think that's one that maybe nobody uses mediation for and many people should. Uh, and then there's the other where there's school conflicts uh, with parents or kids, uh, violence prevention, nonprofits, and um, real, like faith communities where there's uh, people just not agreeing on religious topics. Um, but I thought when I looked at that list, I was like, this is a huge list. And every day people are having problems and not reaching out to mediators. 
Yeah, absolutely, Kim. I think anywhere where there's two people having a conversation and they need to make a decision and they're not in agreement, I think a mediator could come in and help out, right? It's not, it's not, um, it doesn't have to be limited to legal disputes. Um, you don't have to be in court or even have some question that needs to go to court. Um, I seriously considered using mediation when we were trying to decide whether to get a cat or a dog as a family because <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty long and difficult conversation for us to come to a consensus on. So um, I think, yeah, absolutely. It can be a really huge um cover a wide range of topics and questions. Yeah, I mean, come on. Basically, anywhere that there's a dispute, mediation is a potential dispute resolution process. Yeah. So how do you, you just said, like, um, it's not regulated. How do you make sure that you get a mediator that isn't total garbage? Because, because it's not regulated, like anybody can do it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question, Evan. I think I would probably look for someone who has some form of mediation training. So ask them what their experience and training is. Um, just because it's not regulated doesn't mean there isn't. There's tons of really excellent training out there and really good organizations. Um, you might want to start with one of those organizations. So, for example, the Alberta, the AFMS, the Alberta Family Mediation Society, has a list of um, mediators who can register with them. So that's probably a really good starting point. Um, um, and maybe look for someone who has some experience or knowledge in the area of the questions that you have for them, if it's a highly technical area. So for example, I often say, you know, look for someone who has some experience in mediating family disputes or is potentially a family lawyer if you have a family law problem. Um, and I think the purest, the most purest in mediators will say, oh, any mediator can mediate any dispute. Um, but uh, my personal opinion is if you have some knowledge of the background, that's going to help. So, you know, I mean, maybe I could use my mediation skills to help two companies settle an oil and gas dispute. But if I had some background information and knowledge, that might help me <laughs> a little bit more than going in cold to that kind of thing. What do you think, Kim and Evan? Is there anything else that you would um, share with our listeners if they're looking for a mediator? I kind of, I laugh a little bit because I've done the mediation training and I was horrible. I, I'm a horrible mediator. I have no, I have no aptitude for mediation. <laughs> what, do you want to fix, do you just want to fix their problems or what? Yes, I think so. I'm in a solution world like, like the financial services we're so like we're we listen to people but we're always searching for that solution and mediation was extremely difficult because you have to have patience you have to really be a curious person and a great listener and remember to to stay that way and i can remember to be curious for about a few minutes and then i just want to cut to the chase and solve the problem so um, okay you guys are being dumb here's what you need to do obviously we're done yes and it's the exact wrong that's the exact wrong thing to do 
in mediation. And I think like to Heather's point, people having experience with it and having that, like, I think there truly is like a personality type that excels in this role. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I think it's a, like, it takes a, a lot to be good at it. I think it takes, it must take a lot of practice. Heather, what's your take on it after doing mediation for several years? Yeah, I mean, I and I think this is one of my slogans or a phrase that I use in my website that families come up with their own best solutions. But I think folks do tend to come up with their own best solutions to their problems. I think sometimes what happens is, Kim, you said that part about listening, right? Sometimes that's not happening or sometimes they don't have whatever reason it is, maybe there's an emotional block or there's a fear about sharing information or interests or concerns that um, folks aren't able to sort of get deep enough to get at the interest to find out what the solutions are. So, um, or maybe they're coming in with a position and they've only ever thought of this option or that option and haven't explored all the things in between. So I think a good mediator will help them find, create a lot more options and look at a lot more solutions to find the one that fits best for the situation. Um, yeah. Um, I, I thought it might be helpful for people just to like conceptually how mediation is different from other, from say arbitration and some, cause you know, and often those are lumped together, right? You do a med arb. Um, what I understand and, uh, obviously correct me or add anything you think would be useful here, Heather. But what I understand is the mediator's job is to be, is to help control the process. Um, so that the people in the mediation can make, come up with the solution. Whereas arbitration, the, the arbitrator is in charge of the process and also makes the decision. Is there any yeah. other distinctions you would make or any other descriptions you'd give for mediation and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think often mediation and arbitration go together. So people will often opt to start with mediation, um, but use someone who's also qualified as an arbitrator to give them a decision if they don't reach an agreement in mediation. Um, so that's where the arbitrator bit comes in is that they can make, give a decision um, if there isn't an agreement reached. I guess the other thing is, is I think in I mean, <laughs> in some ways, the mediator slash arbitrator is the guide through the process, but the parties also get to guide the process. So one of the attractive things about mediation and or mediation and arbitration is that you um, might decide together what information is going to be exchanged and shared and whether or not you're going to follow the formal rules of evidence or whether those things can be relaxed and um, and that kind of thing, what the arbitrator or the mediator is going to get and read and all of those things. So um, it's not necessarily the arbitrator deciding the process, but they're the guide through the process, I guess I would say. Right. So what yeah. frame of mind would a mediator go into a meeting with? Like, is it, are they looking to try and get themselves into a calm state so they can just sit there um, and, and listen and probe? Like Heather, what would you, what are mediators looking to, to present when they walk into a room? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because um, 
uh, but coming from a, a from my lawyer with my lawyer hat on, you want to be an advocate. You want to connect with your client and and um, show them that they're heard and that you're taking their concerns seriously and that you'll represent those concerns. Um, and you kind of have to take that hat off a little bit, but keep some of those skills. So you um, want to make sure that everybody gets some equal time and opportunity to say their piece. Um, I I think sort of this this sitting back and listening is often what I, um, the mind space I try to go into so that I can watch what's going on between um, the people in the room and identify concerns and interests and hear it. Um, yeah, it's, um, it really depends on the people too and the personalities involved. So sometimes I might have to be a little more directive and control the process a little bit. Um, uh, maybe I have to offer suggestions if neither person is really able, you know, or aren't generating a lot of conversation or a lot of options. I might have to be a little more creative and help out um, with that kind of element of the mediation. So you're kind of like, you're in there throwing out ideas, listening. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I think it's important that everybody feels heard at mediation, but I also, you need to make sure that you're not siding with someone. Um, uh, and that's a really deliberate choice sometimes, because sometimes you might feel like, oh, well, I do align with this person. I think they are a little more right. But that's not your role in the mediation room. So you need to be cognizant of that and make sure that you are presenting neutrally. Um, yeah, yeah, and hearing both sides of this, of what's going on. In terms of the presentation, when people walk, I remember the flippy chart thing through mediation. So if somebody's trying to visualize a mediation, like meeting, would they be sitting across from each other side by side? Are you in front of them? Is this flippy chart thing super important to all mediations? <laughs> Tell us about what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, again, I think most, most folks set their own process. So that really depends and it's going to depend on the dynamics. So if there's been some serious coercion control or history of domestic violence or something, they might not even be in the same room. You might do shuttle mediation where you're going back and forth and, and sharing, um, sharing what discussion you had, um, over in the other room. Um, yeah, sometimes you might be sitting all around the same table. Um, I think, you know, thinking consciously about it, I think it's important not to set up a dynamic where it does seem to be competitive or adversarial. A round table, obviously, is kind of best to create that neutral space. Um, I guess another thing that I try to do to sort of um, encourage parties to realize that they're there as their own decision makers in the room and they're there to create their own process is I always start by creating an agenda for the mediation um, and that that's the list of topics that they're, they're here to discuss um, with my help and then to prioritize that list of topics themselves. So what are you, what are you here to talk about and what order do we want to start in? Is there an urgent topic? Is there a topic that's more important than an another one? Is there a topic that makes more sense to start with? Um, 
because ultimately a mediator should be almost unnoticed in a way, right? They're helping guide the conversation, but um, the parties are there to do the talking and to come up with the solutions and to have the conversation. Evan, have you ever been in a, a scenario where in the legal in, in the legal world where you have uh, witnessed a mediator at work? No, I haven't. Uh, I, I took mediation at law school and I hated it. I thought it was a terrible class. Um, but it, it, that doesn't mean I think it's a terrible option for dispute resolution. It's just the class. I didn't like the class. But no, I haven't had a chance to, to be a part of one yet. And part of that reason, Kim, is one of the things I learned from that class. And then one of the reasons it was a terrible class was it was a class from the lawyer's perspective in mediation, not the mediator's perspective. And a lawyer in mediation is not really supposed to do very much. So I think that's one of the pros about mediation is you don't have to have a lawyer because they're not going to bring very much value to that situation is really about you and what you want. It's less about the legal, you know, positioning or negotiation. It's, it's much less about that. And I think that's one of the considerations that you want to um, have when choosing your mediator, because it's like, a, it's a two edged sword, right? So you're not going to have a lawyer there that frees you up to talk about whatever. And, and there's not, nothing in between the two people, except for the mediator helping them talk. But on the other hand, when you get, it's a, if it's a specialized area, like family property in, in a relationship breakdown, there's like specific legal rules that have to be um, dealt with. And, and that, yeah, that kind of limit what you can do. It's, and like, you know, child support is like, there's specific rules. And so if you have a, a mediator who's not really familiar with that, um, they can be a fantastic mediator and the result can be garbage, something that you can't use. So you want to make sure that that's what, you know, Heather was talking about, you know, well, if I do, I can't remember what topic you used, what like corporate commercial, you might want some contacts there for yourself in order to be a more effective mediator. So that comes into play there. Because we had a guest on, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, Heather, who Jim does Taylor, right? Jim Taylor? Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think it was Jim Taylor. And he was like, he's a lawyer, but he also does mediation and I think arbitration as well. And, you know, I asked him questions about like, okay, but doesn't mediation actually suck? And he was like, no, it doesn't suck. And, and one of the reasons that it doesn't suck is um, because he's a family law lawyer, he can make sure when he's guiding that process that they're not coming away. They're not agreeing to something that's totally unusable and he can draft an agreement for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess to that point, one of the things I have on my tip sheet that I wanted to cover today is to get advice. Um, so your mediator, even if they're a family lawyer, they're not sitting there as a family lawyer. They're sitting there as a mediator. Um, so um, a good mediator uh, should be sending folks off for advice when 
at an appropriate time um, and whether that's if they're in a sort of log jam um, or if they're kind of ready to reach an agreement, but to make sure that everything um, is, is going to get past the, I guess, the legal standard of independent legal advice. Um, but it's not just lawyers. Um, I wrote down, get a, advice from the right people at the right time. So you might want to talk to your accountant or your financial planner um, at various times throughout the mediation process. Um, and it's totally okay to say, oh, pause, uh, I'd like to talk to my lawyer. I need to call Kim and see if that makes sense to do that with my RRSPs or my investments. Um, and I think we've probably touched on this before too. And I said, uh, you know, w w in preparation for today, I wrote down like neighbors, coworkers, family and friends, even though they're loving and very well-intentioned are really unlikely to have the knowledge and objectivity to give you good advice about what you should be doing in this situation. So let them be your emotional supports, vent to them, but get that advice from the experts on the question that you're in mediation, um, you're in mediation for. Yeah, I, I have just a little example. It's on my mind because I was just meeting with the client talking about it today. And I think you and I have talked about this before, Heather. Pensions are a good example of something where like even your lawyer, it like probably doesn't want to touch the pension with a 10-foot pole because um, they can be quite complicated to get an accurate value for the pension. And this example, my client is the husband. He's 12 years older then the wife, she's still working, his pension's already in pay, and she's right now the beneficiary. And she, so when he dies, and he, you know, I think he's already in his uh, 70s, I think I wanna say, she'll get his full pension monthly payment for the rest of her life, right? So that's just an example where like, if you just took, uh, oh, the, whatever the pension statement says, and we'll just divide that in half or something. I'm just flagging it as an example where there's often some things where you need some expert advice so that you can come up with your own solution. You can't, the solution's only going to be as good as the information that you have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I guess picking up on that, another one of my tips is gather information ahead of time, especially if your mediator asks you to do so, and do your homework between meetings. So if you're asked to provide something or to do something in between meetings, please do it. Please provide it. Um, I honestly can't stress how much um, I've seen time wasted in meetings because homework isn't done or the required information isn't in front of the parties to make a decision about. So um, you, I mean, basically you just kind of can't put that puzzle together if there are pieces missing. Um, so if you don't know how much is in the kid's RESP um, and that's what you're trying to make a decision about, whether it's going to be enough to float their post-secondary education or not, it's very difficult to have a conversation about it without that information. Um, have you ever shut down, shut it down? Like you come back and they're like, oh, I didn't do my homework. And you're like, well, I guess we're not meeting today. Well, I mean, I, I, not with a mediation that hasn't become a thing, but um, sometimes with client meetings, I've done that and said, you know, we, there's no sense in us proceeding with this meeting because if you don't have that information, we don't really have anything to discuss. I mean, often that's going to be a very discreet situation, but, um, 
And I kind of also want to flag that sometimes it's only one person that isn't getting their homework done. Um, so, you know, there's a couple ways that you can talk about that. Um, one of them is you could check in before the meeting um, happens, like a day or two beforehand and see, um, you know, is the homework done? You know, you need this to talk about the next topic. And if the homework's not there, then you could ask to po postpone it. Um, but if it's becoming a chronic problem, then you could suggest to the mediator that that become a topic at the next mediation, right? How are we going to make decisions if we don't have the information in front of us? Um, and if it becomes a very chronic problem, it's possible mediation then might not be the process that you need to, to solve that problem. But yeah, information is definitely an important part of that. So what does that look like to, to come ready with information? Do people have a binder that they come with? Like, you know, various things, homework items you've asked them for, is it, is it like paper copies or do you put in like jump drives in your computer and bring it up? Like how, what does it look like to be organized in a meeting? Yeah, again, I mean, it's really going to depend on the mediator and the parties involved, right? So, um, you know, some people just are not comfortable with computer stuff at all. <laughs> um, so maybe they do bring a binder and they exchange binders. Um, other people might create a shared um, Dropbox folder kind of thing where all of the information goes into there for the mediator and for, for both parties. Um yeah, I mean, I'd kind of, I guess I would let the mediator sort of be a bit directive about that because they're going to want to, and, and this is more to go to the neutrality thing, right? Um, I, I know, for example, I won't, wouldn't correspond with one of the parties without the other one. I'm not going to be discussing any issues at all over email, but, you know, if we're scheduling stuff or just sharing information, that's always with both people involved. Um, but yeah, you wouldn't want people to start, you know, you wouldn't start uploading, say, I don't know, journal entries or a bunch of information that you haven't been asked for. So I'd kind of follow the lead of the process there and the mediator on that one. It seems like a great solution that technology is presented where you can, everybody can load their information into one spot. The mediator can see that it's all there prior to the meeting and, and then, you know, you're ready to go. But I know not everybody's that, uh, that organized as you kind of mentioned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. I have a question that I'm hoping you can answer that might be helpful is, what does it look like when um, people in dispute are like a really ideal fit for mediation versus some other stream? Like, how would you spot the perfect candidates for mediation? Is that what you mean, Evan? Yeah, well, like, how would you identify if you are, if your dispute is a perfect candidate for mediation? Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a terrible question. <laughs> I mean, maybe I would flip that on its head and say that there's probably a few situations that wouldn't be great candidates for mediation. Um, so I think most questions and most people could probably attend mediation pretty effectively. But um, if there's been 
you know, like things like the co coercion control, any sort of violence that's happened in the past, I would, you know, tread carefully with that and make sure I had support in those spheres. Um, certainly in those situations, uh, litigants can use the uh, court system as a weapon. So it doesn't mean that the court system deals with that any better, but you might want to have then a lawyer accompanied uh, mediation or just ensure that that's a known part of the process. And um, I guess, paid attention to, um, where there's a huge power or knowledge imbalance, you'd really, you just want to at least be aware of that or turn your mind to it before going into mediation um, as well. So, you know, if you were um, David uh, versus Goliath, you might want something that is uh, maybe maybe gives you a little bit more protection. Okay. All right. So I, I like it. It's like, instead of answering the question you asked, I'm going to answer the question you should have asked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 if you were like a McDonald's employee, for example, you might not want to attend a mediation with McDonald's Corporation with the mediator that they had chosen for you to resolve your employment dispute, right? Like, is that kind of what you're getting at? <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I didn't. It wasn't a loaded question. I was really just wondering, like, I don't know, there's some like hallmark indicators that like, oh, yeah, this is perfect for mediation. What I hear you saying is, well, not really. It's like mediation can be good for all kinds of scenarios, can be fantastic. Yeah. Um, the bigger question is, or you'd want to identify any flags that would make it not a good candidate. So, yeah. Yeah. So what about differences in people showing up to mediation in terms of uh, information sharing? Uh, we were talking about this before we jumped on the recording, how some people really like to talk and talk and talk and talk, and other people are maybe a little more guarded or just timid or something where they're just not sharing as much. How does a mediator control the contribution to the meeting itself? Um, yeah, I mean, I make sure that you're giving some air time to both people and you're just deliberate about that, right? Um, so if someone's um, over-contributing or always sort of seems to be the first person to put up their hands or the first person to speak, um, I you know, that becomes a pattern and that's pretty obvious fairly early on. So I'd make sure to address the other person directly for the next question or the next topic and um, draw them out a little bit. Um, if if someone's really not talking a lot, then I'm going to start to wonder why, right? And think if there's other dynamics at play, do they need some some more support to help them out? And, you know, maybe that's where we, we um, you make a referral for a coach or some counseling or something like that. Um, or just even coach them to say, you know what, today was a hard conversation. We heard a lot of ideas from, you know, A, but maybe for homework, what you should both do is come up with a list of five options that we'll present um, to one another at the next meeting so that you're just kind of trying to encourage some balance in the process and getting to hear from both from both people. 
there's a few different ways to get at it. Well, it's just good to know that there are some ways because, um, yeah, I think it's a tool we want people. It's the, some of the pros about mediation, I think, are it's relatively affordable compared to other dispute resolution processes. Like if you're going to do arbitration, you know, it would probably be a good idea to have lawyers there. Whereas you don't really need them for the arbitration part, even if you're doing like a mixed. Um, and that's obviously that makes it more expensive. Mm -hmm. So, so can you elaborate on that, Evan, for our listeners, like why, why it would be cheaper? Well, lawyers are expensive. <laughs> so having a lawyer attend all these, uh, and arbitration, I think, and I haven't done an arbitration either. So I don't want to give the impression that like, I know because of my years of experience, that's not why I know anything about these processes. Um, but arbitration, I think tends to be more, um, a shorter process because it's really like a trial. It's like a private trial. So everyone presents their evidence and then the arbitrator makes a decision. Um, am I, are you hearing me? Okay. Am I cutting out? No. Okay. And then, whereas mediation, what I'm hearing Heather say is, well, it can, it just depends on the parties. It can, it can be drawn out quite a bit. Um, it can take a longer. And so, and what I've said already is lawyers don't, aren't really adding a lot of value to the mediation process. So you can ignore the lawyers. And so you're just paying the mediator. Whereas arbitration, it may be shorter, but you're paying for the arbitrator and you're paying the lawyers. So, um, or if you're having to resolve things at court, then it's just, you're not paying the, the judge, but it's just a lot longer process. Um, so that's why I would, that's why I would think mediation could be, could be a more cost-effective solution. I don't know, Heather, you, you have experience actually doing mediation. What are your, what are your thoughts? Does it, does, does my theory actually, uh, bear out in practice? Yeah, I, I think it definitely can be a lot more cost effective. You're paying one person, um, to help you out. And sometimes their rate is lower than even one lawyers, depending on who's doing the mediation, um, rather than paying two lawyers. Um, I think in any process, it's really easy to spend hundreds or even thousands of dollars on a small topic that doesn't necessarily merit the time or the money or the energy. So, um, Another tip that I would share is that always remember that you are both in the driver's seat, right? You're in control of the process and you can decide like, oh, okay, we're not going to argue about this anymore. We're going to come to a, uh, we're going to come to an agreement and do it quickly on these things because they're not that important. So, um, you know, maybe it's something as easy as deciding ahead of time what your important issue or important issues are and be prepared in advance to be flexible on the other things that don't matter to you so much so that you can use your time efficiently. And lots of these tips are going to apply in any sort of dispute resolution process that you might be in, right? Um, but um, particularly in mediation, because I think it can be easy to sort of like float away from the one topic or another um, and start spending a lot of time on stuff that isn't that important. So let's see if, if 
I've gotten like the important takeaways so far. Okay. Uh, here, here are some tips that some salient tips that I'm thinking. Number one, do your homework. If you're asked to do something, then do it because if you don't, you can just be wasting time and money in this process. I've heard a lot of people be frustrated about mediation and because of that type of thing, not getting anything accomplished. Well, do your homework. Um, narrow down the issues as much as you can beforehand so that you can spend your time on those issues. Um, I know I'm missing some. Kim, help me I'm, out. I'm focused on my question. My next question. Oh. <laughs> well, then let's just stop my summary right there so that Kim can get the question out. So I had a couple who uh, was a do-it-yourselfers, do it smart, just wonderful getting along, um, had almost everything figured out for themselves. But there was one issue. I didn't know what it was. There was one issue that they just couldn't couldn't figure out. So they're asking me about what, what do they do? And I'm like, oh, well, there's this thing called limited scope. You can call a lawyer and they can kind of help you work through this one thing that you can't get through. And uh, bada bing, bada boom. They called me back and said, oh, yeah, the limited scope uh, person uh, wasn't said that he wasn't right for that, that just that one thing. So then they each uh, contacted lawyers and then they got into a more expensive process. And then I was now I'm thinking, you know what, maybe the, and I'm still confused why the limited scope person couldn't help. But anyways, maybe <laughs> they should have gone to mediation because they were getting along on most of the topics. They had everything resolved. Maybe that mediator slash lawyer could have drafted their agreement once they resolved that final issue. So now I'm just kind of, I'm in a state of confusion on what, what, like what happened there and, and where should they have gone? And, you know, I don't know. It just seems like, I just don't know what process to tell people to go into if they have like one little issue. Is it, is mediation the way to go? And then you can just draft the agreement they're good to go once they get that final issue resolved. Yeah, it might be. Um, without knowing the whole situation, it's hard to answer that question. Mm -hmm. But Kim, you know my number. You can always call me and run it past me. And <laughs> <The> situation. <laughs> um, if you want a, if you want a little bit of insight on one where they might go, I mean, this is the tricky thing, right? There are a lot of tools out there, and um, you know, some of them are per are the perfect tool, and some of them will get the job done, and maybe it's not the perfect tool, and it's really hard to tell sometimes. Um, what the right fit or process is going to be. So, yeah. And I don't know if you know this, Kim, but Heather's a director of an organization or a board member of an organization that really promotes limited scope legal services. So she could give you a good detailed answer. I also provide limited scope services and the only reason I could see like turning someone away is like, number one, it's just not, it's not something that I do. It's not something, some, something that I can help them with. That doesn't mean that the limited scope model isn't a good fit for them. Um, the other thing could be maybe they had in their mind something different than what the lawyer is prepared to do. I'll give you an example, like 
why I said that it's not unusual for someone to think like, okay, we just want to go to a lawyer and we already agree on everything for our separation agreement and family law. We just want one lawyer. We don't want to get two lawyers. We just want one lawyer. Right. And the lawyer might say to them, well, I'm sorry, you can't do that. You need two lawyers, which is 80% true. But they, that's the only kind of thing I could think of as to why a limited, like someone would turn them away from a limited scope retainer. Yeah, they may have said there's a dispute here, so I can't represent both of you. Mm -hmm. I could only represent one of you. Um, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'll have to dig in and come back to you guys with what the, why it didn't work out. Yeah. You, kind of, you kind of touched on something, though, for me. Like, I, I really want to be efficient, I like, I want to help my clients find the most efficient solution for them and efficiency. I prize efficiency quite highly, not necessarily like sacrificing a better solution, but like efficiency is an important part of a solution being a right solution for most people I find. And sometimes I run it up against, and sometimes like there's lots of obstacles to efficiency, right? One could be the other, the other person is just putting their head in the sand and refusing to participate. Obviously that's going to be inefficient. Sometimes I run into lawyers are the problem on the other side, causing like I, I prepared a prenuptial agreement. So both people had input on it. And when it was all ready to go and they both looked at it and be like, okay, yeah, this is good. This is what we want. Like they get along, they love each other. They're getting married. They live with each other. They know what they want. They know what they're doing. They go to the, the, the other party's lawyer, like when I wasn't representing. And then this other lawyer just like, tried to reinvent the wheel. Like, Oh, we got to put, they didn't want a spousal support waiver. We talked about it. They're like, we don't want one. We want the law to apply to us. I'm like, okay, that's reasonable. And he's like, well, I want to, what about, you need to have a spousal support waiver. And there goes, people fight about that. And so he like put it in and then took it out because they didn't want it. <laughs> and a bunch of other things. It was like, I, I was, I was kind of baffled by the whole experience. It's like, what are you doing? If somebody came to me with an agreement, they're like, no, I'm happy with it. Let's go. I'd be like, excellent. Let's do it. <laughs> but you know, I guess some people don't, I don't know. I don't know. Heather, do you, can you provide some insight as to why I had this experience? <laughs> I cannot. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but you couldn't do a prenuptial agreement with mediation because that's illegal. But no, you could. You, 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 it's just like a separation agreement, but different. Uh -huh. But there's, there's not really a dispute, so you don't need to. Right. You can do but that. Sometimes there is, right? I mean, sometimes sure. people will say, I, you know, I've got my millions and I don't want any of that to be shareable at any point in the future, no matter what happens. And they want um, someone to sign a prenup that says that. Um, and then the other person may say, well, no, I don't want to sign that. Um, so mediation is one tool that they could use to resolve that that issue, right? Um, 
sometimes prenuptial agreements aren't, <laughs> aren't, uh, yeah, here's what we want. We're on the same page. Um, sometimes they are quite one-sided. Um, and I think that's less and less. So as people think forward to their futures and they're getting them, you know, earlier and younger in life, just to sort of have that conversation. But, um, you know, I think traditionally or more typically there is one person who really wants to preserve their assets or um, their income going forward so there may be some hesitance to for the lower lower asset person to sign an agreement and that could cause some dispute or conflict mm. fair enough and in that situation mediation could be great yeah yeah absolutely um yeah. Well, this has been like, this has been great tips for how to make your mediation successful. I think like there's some real gems there that maybe seem obvious, but um, the reason that you shared them is because you've experienced all of them. So yeah. Yeah. if you're getting ready to go to mediation, like watch this episode and give some serious thought and to make sure you're not doing any of the things that Heather said not to do. <laughs> I actually, yeah. And I only got about halfway through my list. So maybe we could even do a part two. Cause I, uh, I have, uh, I've got a few more tips for our listeners. Um, but I know we're short on time today. We're coming to the end of our episode. So, um, yeah, yeah it's been really fun. And hopefully there are some, some gems in here for folks to help them get the most out of mediation. But, um, I, I if I can leave one gem, I guess is, is be prepared you know, like think about what you want out of the mediation before you go in, think about the topics that you want to discuss, even if they're just like those big headings, right? The kids, money, the house, those kinds of ideas, and maybe even practice generating some options before you go in, because that's going to be a big part of your task is coming up with possible solutions. So, um, you know, maybe write down what you want, write down what you think they want, and then try and come up with two other options in each category so that your brain's heading in that direction going into the mediation. Because chances are you're going to wind up somewhere in the middle or somewhere with a third option that neither of you has thought of. Um, so you can really get a lot out more out of mediation if you're getting your brain going in that direction before you even walk into the room. Yeah. Um, for negotiation, I do, um, I go through a process beforehand with the client where we look at, you know, what do they want? And, you know, we have these awesome acronyms that we use in negotiation, like WATNA, BATNA, you know, but the idea is just like turning your mind to, okay, well, what, what do you want? And where, what's the line for you as to like how far you would go either way? Yeah. And it's, um, you know, sometimes lawyers and clients will come into settlement meetings and they're not sure what they want or what the client wants. Um, and certainly if you're entering into mediation without having had legal advice or without um, meeting with a lawyer, um, you're probably not sure how to prepare. So um, even just doing that, I think at the, at the outset before you walk in is probably helpful um, because you're, you may not have the advantage of having a lawyer prepare you for that conversation. Mm -hmm. Is there a website people can go to? I can't remember if we covered that with Jim. If there's a website people can go to to get some tips on how to prep for a mediation. 
It's a great question, Kim. I don't know if there is one or not. Maybe I'll have to make a blog post and you'll have to go to my website. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are some websites, but I'm not aware of one off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, maybe, maybe you need to create it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I think we should do a part two, Heather, especially for only like halfway through your list. Um, we could do a sister episode to this episode. So I'm going to name this episode part one. Okay. And we'll what? do part two some other yeah. time. Make sure you put that in the um, one sheet that it's part one. Okay. I will. And uh, Kim, good to see you. And we didn't really touch on your latest health escapade. You've always got great health escapades. <laughs> Maybe we could, well, it's going to be a couple of weeks before we're back at this, but let's just say Kim got a great experience at the emergency room this week. And um, yeah, 10 hours and I just have a PSA for people out there. Just don't get sick. Just don't go to the emergency room. It's awful. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you can yeah. share, maybe next time you can share like how it all came to be <laughs> on that cliffhanger. <laughs> We will leave you. So <laughs> happy, uh, happy access to justice. Cheers. <laughs> right, this has been another episode. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions, send us an email, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time, or to you seeing us next time, or hearing us. Any information in this video is general information only, and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Mallorick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Mallorick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Mallorick, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFE, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFE. Darkness of the dales dissipates, declines because of he who turned water.